Hello, this is Reverend Judith Laxer. Thank you for listening to the podcast of our service entitled At Liberty. Wherever you're listening from all over the globe, welcome. My wish is that the food for thought offered nourishes your soul. The Guy's Temple Ministry is sustained by generous donations such as yours, and we need your support. If you feel served by listening and wish to donate to help support our ministry, please push the donate button now and give generously. We'd be most grateful. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks and blessed be. All right. So earlier this week, my friends, as I'm sure you will remember, we celebrated the 247th birthday of our nation. Of course, that's the anniversary of our nation's incorporation as the United States of America. But the land and its indigenous people were here in their own nations for thousands of years prior. And if you are the socially conscious person I think you are, then you are aware of the following. We have mostly been blind to the disparity between the ideal of liberty and justice for all and the early genocide of Native Americans and the enslavement of Africans upon whose backs this corporation slash nation was built. And now, firmly in the age of Aquarius, when our awareness is being refocused directly to this disparity, it's time for healing, long overdue. It's time for reconciliation, and it's time to forge a new way forward. Healing, reconciliation, and forging a new way forward are potent and important directives, long overdue. And therefore, they are the very next thing that should happen. For me, this is a spiritual and moral directive. Yes, it's policy change and it's activist work, but the impetus to do it, the motivation, is a moral one. It's a spiritual one. And when I was a kid, the 4th of July was all about swimming and hot dogs and ice cream and, of course, fireworks. Staying up late enough for the sun to go down at the height of summer was thrilling. I love those awe-inspiring sparkles in the sky. Such innocent times. I am no longer innocent. And frankly, for a very long while now, and certainly since 2015, I have not been so eager to celebrate the 4th of July. I don't know, something about those bombs bursting in air. I want to be done with bombs, no matter where they burst. Though I am forever grateful for my freedom, and so very grateful to my ancestors who left the pogroms of Eastern Europe for a better life for themselves and their descendants, namely me, I can no longer go blindly forth waving flags and ooing and eyeing as miniature bombs go off polluting the air with noise and smoke despite their visual beauty. I want to, believe me, I want to be proud to be an American, proud of how we interact with the rest of the world, proud of how our citizens are treated, but I'm not. I want to be proud and happy with how the wheels of justice turn and for whom, but I am not. I want to be able to proudly say the Supreme Court of the United States of America is the fairest, most impartial court in the world, and therefore the best, but I can't. So due to my discontent with the way things are going, I've been contemplating the condition of liberty. And that's what I want to talk with you about today. Liberating our minds 
engaging in a more spiritual and perhaps less governmental perspective because when we free our minds in this way to a true state of liberty, we find we don't want to curtail liberty for anyone else. We want everyone to know how wonderful it is. And because there is no scarcity here, there's enough liberty for everyone. It's like love and compassion and empathy. There's plenty to go around. It's not finite. It's not pie. This spiritual work of liberation begins as an inside job. So I keep asking myself how I can keep my mind and heart open to some really hard truths about our past, even if I or my ancestors were not the perpetrators. How can I hold these hard truths about what happened in the past, all the while holding the ideal of America, the original ideal of liberty and justice for all, albeit created to support the elite, but how can I hold that and wrest it from antiquity and work it into a mindset that supports everyone, not just myself? Because I benefit from my privilege as a white woman every day in all the ways. And so the very least I can do is come out of denial about it. I figure if the great mother is the mother of us all, and all means everyone, then as her daughter, my work is to free myself from the conditioning that I have received, the indoctrination that I have endured, the limited thinking that I have unwittingly adopted, and expand that ideal to include everyone. And doing so helps me advocate for liberty and justice for all. And when I free my mind from what it has come to habitually think, I'm free. And that freedom is so amazing I want everyone to know how good it is, everyone, to experience the beauty of being at liberty. So this coming out of denial is the first step toward reconciliation. We can't move on in a healthy way without healing the wounds that have been inflicted. Without healing, all we do is continue, but we don't really progress. The dictionary tells us that reconciliation means, one, the restoration of friendly relations, which means we would have had to be friendly to begin with, and two, the action of making one belief or view compatible with another. The action of making one belief or view compatible with another. So what must be in place in order for reconciliation to even begin to occur is respect. We must demonstrate respect in our interactions even before we reach that place of compatibility. That's the tough one right there. So here are just two of the many things that I would if I had hours and hours and uh, but I don't. Uh, two of the many things that I would like to offer up that I've come upon in my examination of my own white privilege in my attempt to educate myself that I want to share with you. And the first one is about the word woke. It's become quite a buzzword, woke. The right wing uses it as an insult, the left wing uses it as a badge, but the truth is that it's part of black culture that precedes our current political climate. The word woke means to be always on the lookout for systemic injustice. 
which in black vernacular is a fancy way of saying, don't go into denial, don't be ignorant, don't fall asleep at the wheel, stay woke. This expression goes back in the black community decades before Ferguson, which is when it rose to our public awareness. It was a way for black people to warn and remind their friends and family that danger lurked everywhere because of the color of their skin. And if they forgot that danger, they might very well pay for it with their lives, which is true. 313 black people were unjustly killed by the police in the US in 2022 alone. 313 people were killed for no reason other than their skin color. When I was researching wokeness, a recurring theme was that this word is another of many things in black culture that white Americans have co-opted or appropriated. And so for that reason, I'm not going to use that term any longer. Instead of saying, I am woke, or she is woke, or they are woke, or what a woke concept that is, I will say that they are aware, that they are alert to what is happening around them, conscious that they are savvy to the situation. And goddess knows we should all work to be savvy to the situation. The other word to toss out of our lexicon is tribe when referring to both Africans and Native Americans. So I want to read you a piece of an article I found on the Southern Poverty Law Center's website, which is one of the organizations that we tithe to here in Guy's Temple. And the article is called, What's Wrong with the Word Tribe? It was written by Chris Lowe and published in the spring of 2021. It was a very good article that addressed several things, but this section in particular speaks to my point here. And so this is a quote. The general sense of tribe, as most people understand it, is associated with primitiveness. In the West, tribal often implies savage. Under US law, the word tribe is a bureaucratic term for a community of Native Americans to gain access to programs and to enforce the rights due to them under treaties and laws, they must be recognized as a tribe. But away from the law, Native Americans prefer the words nation or people over tribe. Historically, the US government treats all Native American groups as tribes because of the same outdated cultural evolutionary theories and colonial viewpoints that led European colonialists to treat all African groups as tribes. As in Africa, the term obscures wide historical differences in the way of life, political and social organization, and culture among Native Americans. When we see that the same term is applied indiscriminately to Native American groups and African groups, the problem of primitive savagery as the implied common denominator only becomes more pronounced. Now, some would say that avoiding the term tribe is just political correctness. To the contrary, avoiding the term tribe is saying that ideas matter. If the term tribe accurately conveyed and clarified truths better than other words, even if they were hard and unpleasant truths, we should use them. But tribe is vague, contradictory, and confusing, not clarifying. For the most part, it does not convey truths, but myths, stereotypes, and prejudices. There are other words that express the same truths more clearly without the additional distortions. That means choosing ethnic group, nation, people, 
community, or another appropriate word, over the word tribe. The question is not political correctness, but empirical accuracy and intellectual honesty. Good article there, Chris Lowe. Thank you. Now, this is the same reason why using the pronoun that someone asks you to when referring to them is also so important, because ideas matter, and we should respect them. If someone asks you to use they or them as their pronoun, they're not asking it to annoy you. It's their truth, and respect for their truth warrants the correct language. It's difficult. I, I trip on it myself, but I continually make the effort. It demonstrates respect, which is the first step in finding common ground, the precursor for healing. Even if you don't hold the same viewpoint, the same belief, respect for existence of that other viewpoint and belief, and the person who holds them, means everything. Now, I know that this next part is very, very hard to believe. Many people do not follow the same faith path that I do. <laughs> I don't follow the faith path of my family or of origin, or many of the world's major religions. But I sure respect the rights of others to hold them for themselves. I'm not interested in trying to change their beliefs. I am interested in how the tiles that we are can form a mosaic of beauty. How can we each remain intact and become compatible. Being mindful to use correct language is an important demonstration of respect, and it goes a long way toward reconciliation between factions of our society. It is not erasing centuries of genocide and enslavement and the shunning and killing of our LGBTQIA2S plus community. That acronym stands, that acronym which is filled with letters and a number and a plus sign is the acronym for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer and or questioning, intersex, asexual, two-spirit, and the plus is for the countless affirmative ways in which people choose to self-identify. People choose to self-identify when they are at liberty. The ability to choose, the right to choose, is a byproduct of liberation. So the dictionary gives these two definitions of the word liberty. One, the state of being free within society from oppressive restrictions imposed by authority on one ways, one's way of life, behavior, and political views. That means there's no authority who can oppress my way of life, my behavior, or my political views. And two, the power and scope to act as one pleases. The etymology, of course, is from the Latin word liber, meaning free, after the Greek goddess libertas, she who graces our altar today. Now, we all know, and if we don't, we ought to know by now, that it is common to fear what we don't know. The unfamiliar makes us uncomfortable. We perceive something that is different than what we are used to as dangerous. But respect for differences leads us to curiosity instead of fear. We become curious. What does that person believe? Who do they worship? What are their customs, their practices, their ways? When we stay curious to find out, instead of fearful in the face of something different, we foster liberty in the world. 
And so often we find, even despite the most glaring differences among us, what we find is what we hold in common. So now I'm going to introduce our singer today, Teresa Taduri, who's zooming in from New Mexico, and she's going to sing her song, Sweet Liberty. So take it away, Teresa. Uh-oh. Are you muted? You are muted, Teresa. We can see that it, you have to unmute. Oh, okay, she knows. Oh, we have to unmute her. Can we un unmute her, Tema? All right, we're working on it. Hang in there, Teresa. Okay. Yay! There we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, seven planets in retrograde. Thank you, Judith, it's beautiful. I, I loved what you had to say. Thank you so much. This song is called Sweet Liberty and I wrote it several years ago thinking about what that beautiful statue meant, um, the Statue of Liberty and what it is to be in love with that. I am an old man now. I like it on my porch. My lady is beside me here and she's holding up her torch. She wears a crown of spiky lights. A gown that looks like she's She's led me through the darkest nights I worship at her feet Sweet liberty Sweet liberty Sweet liberty I met her Souvenir store in the city of New York. She must have been what I was searching for, cause when I met her, I popped my cord. She stood so brazen in her beauty and her bronze. So I paid the little Asian man as he put her in my arms. Begin to relate sweet liberty, 
<laughs> I love that song, and I just have to tell you, so this statue, so, you know, I'm originally from New York, and I uh, moved out here, and the first time I went back was four years after I, I moved here, and, of course, I went to see a Broadway show because I was in New York, and um, I stopped at a tourist stop, <laughs> and I bought this thing, and I... <laughs> paid the little Asian man and he put her in her arms. When I heard your song, Teresa, I was like, oh my goodness, I had that same exact spirit. It was like, oh, I have to buy that goddess. And uh, oh. sure enough, just like you wrote it in the song, that's, that's exactly what my experience was. Oh, so, wow. Thank you so much. It's a thank you. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, this icon of the Statue of Liberty is really the most modern-day goddess. Well, I'm the most modern-day goddess. <laughs> but, you know, that the whole world knows um, is this beautiful Statue of Liberty. What a, what a magnificent concept and ideal that is. Um, and, of course, that she's a goddess. So, a big way that we free our own minds is by consciously using appropriate language. And in doing so, we show ourselves that we can change our minds. Because changing our minds means that we can be free. And that, my friends, is the hallmark of free thinking. How we become a critical thinker and respect uh, a respectful citizen of these here United States. We know that we can't always control what goes on out there. We can't always affect what happens out there, but we also know that we are going to be affected by what happens out there, whether we have control over it or not. Some things just are, you know, like the weather. We may not like the season of winter, for example, but we can't control the fact that winter comes once a year and there's nothing to be done about it. But what we can do is learn to free our own suffering about it by freeing our mind. So let's use that seasonal change as an example, and winter in particular. So here we are in July, and we know that in less than six moons, we will be turning up the heat and pulling on coats against the cold, driving home in the late afternoon dark, and spending more time inside than out. And here come those dang expensive, tension-filled holidays to boot. We free our mind in these ways. First, we recognize that stewing over that now, while we are still enjoying the warm, glorious days of summer, is robbing us of joy in the moment. It's adding a layer of suffering that's unnecessary. So we free ourselves by staying in the moment. Nine times out of ten, it's anticipating something horrible or dwelling on something bad that already happened that is robbing our life of freedom. But even when winter does arrive, because it's going to, we can reframe our experience by remembering, for example, nature's wisdom dictates that dormancy is crucial. It's a crucial part of the life cycle. And Mother Nature, as we know, rules. We can remind ourselves that colder temperatures are just one aspect of dormancy. We can align with the season by slowing down to match the pace of it. We can challenge ourselves to find more ways to be cozy and comfortable, and then we can do it. Consider, we can consider winter an ally that will strengthen us by forcing us to slow down, to rest, and to practice acceptance. We can remember that winter, like all the seasons, doesn't last forever. These are ways that we free our mind about something. 
Um, you know, so when all of my social media accounts were hacked the day before the summer solstice, all of them, including Gaia's Temple, with its over 6,000 followers, poof, I went through a few changes. <laughs> I felt like I was doing okay keeping the stress level of it down to a manageable level, and I, I did for a little while, but then finally I had a moment that gave rise to a potent expression of anger through my frustration. And a potent expression of anger is really putting it very poetically. <laughs> the truth is, sometimes you just got to let your feelings fly, you know, because trying to keep them bottled up is not healthier either. That moment was a lousy couple of days. But then a very interesting thing began to happen when I turned toward acceptance. After all, it happened. There was no undoing it. I had been hacked, and I could not get onto my own platforms anymore. My stress level dropped because I wasn't adding to my suffering by dwelling on the hardship of it. My energy shifted toward, well, what do I want to do about this now? Because it happened. And rather than just stew at the injustice of it all, and the stress started to release, and my mind started to free up into possible things to do. Now, I know that sometimes we are grappling with life circumstances that are much more dire than a season of winter or a social media hack, although identity theft is no joke. But learning how to accept times of difficulty is one of the best things we can learn and practice. It's hard but good work to do because all of us are going to go through times of difficulty, personal difficulty. We're already living in times of difficulty, both in this nation and in the world, in our evolution and all that's going on, then you add in some personal difficulty and it can send you over the top. Learning to uh, accept what we have to about it eases our suffering. That doesn't mean we stop trying to make changes for good, but accepting the truth of what's going on is a good practice. If, we, if our minds keep telling us, oh my God, this is terrible, this is horrible, this shouldn't be happening, when it is, we add a layer of suffering, or two, or twelve. Uh, we are letting our minds think us instead of the other way around. We must free our minds from such suffering as we can, no matter what's going on. Even if we can't change the situation, we can still try to free our mind from stressing about the fact of the situation and thereby start to reclaim some liberty. So if you would, take a moment now, close your eyes and go within. And reconnect to your grounding core deep in the earth that we set down at the beginning of the service. If you came in after we did that, go ahead and ground yourself now. Breathe deeply. And then bring your attention to your third eye in the center of your forehead. Imagine it like an actual eye, just like your other two. Go ahead and open it up and look out through it into your imagination and find yourself standing before an interactive art installation in the center of a room in a museum. And before you is a large piece comprised of multi-layered fabrics in colors of every shade of red from top to bottom, as if someone made a large bed and just kept putting blanket upon blanket on it, one on top of the other. 
And some of those layers are very thick, like quilted blankets, and some of them are very thin, like sheets, and some are in between. And the hues span from the deepest blood red that looks almost black to the lightest shade of pink. It's interesting. And as you stand gazing at it, you get the feeling that the artist meant to portray how multi-layered life can be. How even in the same color scheme, there can be so many different layers of meaning and experience. And now you begin to wonder if their use of red was meant to elicit feelings of anger, or love, or vitality, or warning. One thing is for sure, that top layer, it's the thickest one. It looks dense and heavy, and the color looks like dried blood. Now the thing about art, you remember, is that it's very subjective. You get to decide how it lands on you, and this one lands as an expression of some kind of hardship. A difficulty you're grappling with, a fear, a loss, a worry, something like that. So take a moment now and determine what that difficulty is for you right now. Good. Now you notice the sign on a stand off to the side and it has information about the interactive part of this art installation. So walk over to it and now you read these words. Life has layers. Some bring comfort, some cause suffering, some protect, and some smother. You are welcome to pull back a layer. What layer will you remove? Well, you find yourself wanting to remove the layer of suffering that must be that thick one on top. The suffering that you've been feeling about the fact that you are already suffering. And suddenly this art installation makes so much sense. The artist had the right idea. Hardship is one thing, but suffering about the fact of hardship is a layer you needn't have. So step up now and take the corner of this layer and pull it off the rest. And despite how thick it is, it's pretty light and it comes off easily. And now you see the trash bin big enough for you to stuff this layer into, so do so. You remove that top layer of suffering about what you're suffering about. Then take a deep breath and gently bring yourself back here to our sanctuary. So there's suffering and then there's suffering about our suffering. And so if we make a practice of removing that extra layer of suffering that we are adding on, it's a good one to enact on the daily. Now, of course, in the absence of a guided visualization, multi-layered art installations, we can liberate ourselves by turning to Mother Nature, always. She is the constant, always there. I can't tell you how many times I went back out to my garden in those first few days after the big hack. I sat with the pansies and I fell in love. I talked with the foxglove and it reminded me to breathe. 
I stared at the compost pile and my heartbeat slowed down because it reminded me that nothing is permanent. I sat in the shade of my apple tree and she loved me so much, I had to smile, it felt so good. Go for a walk, sit by the water, lie on the grass, spend time with a flower and let mother nature help you free your mind. She will show you how to be at liberty, to be your true self. And so now we have Teresa to sing one more song for us. Uh, I can't seem to... Can you hear me? I'm going to assume you can hear me. Yes, we can hear you. Okay. <laughs> this song is called Why. I wrote it for my little grandnieces because I was concerned in their world that they may not be experiencing the awe that you just described, Judith, and the, the enormous beauty and mystery of our, our world. Why, why did the sky appear and form an atmosphere so we could all live here? How, how did the rains come down and make the rivers flow? So everything could grow When, when did the plants unfurl And come to all agree That they'd feed you and me The creatures of the sea, the 
and turn the air for these treasures every should go to TeresaTaduri.com and get her CD and albums because they are magnificent. Every song is another beautiful story. Uh, thank you so much, my sweet friend. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So, my friends, it is Mother Nature's diversity that is at the core of what is most beautiful about her, what elicits the most awe, and which is the depth of her wisdom. The garden is so beautiful because all of the different flowers and herbs and vegetables and trees, if it was nothing but zucchini, well, that would be delicious and pretty astonishing, actually. By the end of the summer, we'd be using those things as baseball bats. Uh, soon we would lose interest, ho-hum, right? But the tomatoes and the eggplant and the sunflowers and the mint and the marigolds, etc., etc., now we're talking. 
We may love cats, but if that were the only kind of animal, we would miss birdsong and dolphins and wood, wolves and those majestic horses. So you get the idea. Mother Nature is the mother of us all, and we all belong here. When we turn toward her innate wisdom, which is her diversity and the interconnectedness of all things, which Sophie Strand calls the animate everything, we find ourselves questioning why we ever thought ours was the only way that matters. May we remove as many layers of suffering as we can, not only for ourselves, although that's a very good practice to start, but work to remove suffering for everyone we know and even those we don't. Then, as the season in all her glory continues to grow and bloom, we will support the healing fruit of our labor. May that healing be fruitful and may we all be nourished by it. Blessed be. So this is where we open up the floor for our uh, collective community prayers. If you have a prayer that you'd like to offer,